Greetings, everyone. It is now time for Mark Safe, tales of your very favorite and most beloved man-made disasters. On Mark Safe, we discuss events and details that some may find disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. Please listen responsibly. And now, here with your hosts, Brianne and Melanie, this is Mark Safe. Brianne, Melanie, we have had a ton of people reach out about last week's sleep paralysis episode you did. It is concerning how many people have seen the hat man. I, it's bananas to me because this is all like, I was aware of sleep paralysis, but not the hat man. So now that we're hearing from all these people, it's just... I'm blown yeah, away. Don't talk about it because it makes you sound like a crazy person. Well, I think we found our target audience. <laughs> crazy people? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who are willing to talk about it? Yeah. I got, um, we actually got an email from one of our horrible ghouls and I wanted just to kind of read it because I thought it was really cool just to f- actually get an email from one of them. <laughs> Yeah, have we gotten any emails before? This is our first one, so I feel uh, like... Send us emails. Yeah, so we can read them like and share them. You know, it's nice when it's... Like, I love talking to you, Brianne, but it feels like we're talking to everybody when, you know, people engage with us on it. That's fine. I'm not enough for you. That is not true. Stop it. I understand. It's fine. It's fine. But really, send us your emails. I really want to hear from people yeah okay read me the one we've got all right hey ladies i love your podcast and i had so many thoughts i wanted to share after the hat man episode i have suffered from what i now know to be sleep paralysis issues for years as a child i don't remember seeing anything i would wake up from a nightmare and be unable to move feeling like i had ice water in my veins only as an adult did i begin to remember having waking hallucinations I'd wake up in the middle of the night to see a shadowy person creeping through the door. I'd be terrified. Girl, it's not a hallucination. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be terrified, of course, thinking I was staying still to ensure their masked intruder didn't know I was awake. And then I'd blink and he'd be gone. Eventually, I realized the movement was the same and I wasn't terrified when I see him anymore. Though I would still stay still to ensure it was my hallucination. I've joked with my husband for years that we're screwed if anyone ever breaks in because I'll just assume it's my mind. (laughs) Yeah, I I guess if an eight foot tall uh, shadow man ever just actually breaks into my house. You're fucked. I won't. Yeah, I'll be like, oh, it's just a shadow man. Leave. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Eventually, I started seeing other things besides the creeping shadow person. I have my own hat man who stands in front of my closet and just stares at me. He never moves, just stands and stares. I also see tentacles that hang from my ceiling. Oh, no. Fire locking up the walls and all kinds of of weird balloons, magic carpets, and random shit that fly from my door and disappear into my wall. And that's just a few of regular occurring ones. It was only about two or three years ago that I realized what I was experiencing was considered sleep paralysis. I knew that I had suffered through a child after nightmares was SP, but I thought I had grown out of it. None of my visuals scare me anymore. Neither does the realization that I can't move. 
I'm still cautious of my creeping shadow dude and my demon dude just in case, but mostly I just lay there watching until they go away, then roll over and go back to sleep. That's the other thing I've noticed. I seem to have 90 95% of my SP while laying on my left side. Mm, never lay there again. Never. Never. I know I've had Stop. a... Like, <laughs> put spikes on yourself or something so you'll feel it if you roll over there. Don't do it. Yeah. Just think of it like when you're pregnant and you can't sleep on your tummy. Like, this is like yeah. that. Or just get some of those things that, um, like, the police use to stop your car in a high-speed chase that's like road spikes and put, like, glue them to yourself so if you roll over, they'll spike you. That sounds awfully painful. What about... You know those Velcro suits that you run and jump on a trampoline and you get stuck on a wall? Yeah. Maybe that works. could be her new pajamas. It seems a lot less painful. I mean, <laughs> it's not painful if you don't roll on that side, is it? Yeah. Don't sleep on your left anymore. Okay. Anyways, I just thought I'd share my experience since it's a fairly regular occasion for me, usually at least four times a month. More if I'm oh, super stressed. Love you all so much, Catherine. Oh, my God. I aspire to that level of zen. Yeah. She just. Or you're just like, oh, here's this piece of shit again. In in the corner. (laughs) Oh, my God. I can't imagine it. I want to give her a hug. The fucking sucks. Every life. I I hope the rest of her life is wonderful because that's awful. Yeah, we like every message that we have received. On, we've got a lot of messages on this one. Um, there was a, a Twitter post where someone was driving like super fucking early in the morning. Well, like it was creepy, dark, like drive from work or to work. I can't remember. And was listening to the episode and they were like, no, this is, this is the creepiest <laughs> shit ever. <laughs> But yeah, they... I feel like we unlocked an achievement with that. I love it. Unlocked an achievement. We should make yeah. like a cool like trophy or something. Yeah, for ourselves being the kind of podcast that is too spooky to listen to on spooky roads. Oh, it was so cool. So yeah, send us some more emails. That was super awesome. It's really nice getting an email that's not um, like spam. Or- Spam's or the word. email from Buzzsprout. <laughs> oh, always. Your podcast is uploaded. <laughs> <laughs> always Buzzsprout. So, as far as not sleeping, I'm going to do another curse film. Okay, this is our, our last spooky season episode, isn't it? It is. And then okay, we you are... Better, you better make it good. It's good. No pressure. It's, uh... It, I I like it. Um, it's actually my favorite PG movie. It's about a PG movie. Yeah, it's called The Poltergeist. Oh, Melanie. No, it really is a PG movie. It, is it really? Yeah, it was. I thought you were making like a a letter joke. I was like, I I can't even humor you with this. <laughs> no, it's a PG. Um, it was actually originally given in an R rating. Um, but Steven Spielberg and MGM chairman Frank Rosenfeld, they flew to New York to argue for the PG rating. Holy uh, shit. Yeah. Rose- Did PG-13 not exist yet? Nope. Oh, really? No, it, it wasn't there yet. So, yeah, Rosenfeld oh, wow. insisted that Poltergeist, Poltergeist was devoid of sex, profanity, and overt violence. And they got the PG rating. 
Okay, well, that's questionable, but that's, wow, okay. It is beyond questionable. Yeah, now I'm interested to know about the development of the PG-13 rating. Yeah, I probably should have looked more into that, but this episode's going to be kind of long, so it's probably okay. good that I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, then let's jump right into it. All right, so the poltergeist. Uh, along with um, The Exorcist, they were both movies that, you know, I heard about them really early on in my life as far as curse movie sets. There are a ton of curse movies, but these were like my OGs, you know? Yes, definitely. Um, I think maybe I could have heard about them like concurrently, like together, because um, it was definitely like coffee table conversation with my family. And not dinner table because in the 80s and 90s like we my family we sat in the living room around the coffee table to eat our dinner like I see nothing wrong with that yeah I don't think I really sat at a dinner table on a regular basis until I had my own children yeah and then I'm like I don't know how my parents did it because kids are messy as fuck yeah so that's the problem yeah I don't know Maybe you guys weren't. No, I'm pretty sure we were messy. I'm convinced of it, especially my brother. My brother was pretty messy. Oh, wow. He turned into a neat freak when he was older, but definitely as a kid, messy, messy, messy. So, but yeah, we would watch a ton of movies. That was our jam. Um, My dad, he actually worked at a video rental place when I was little. Um, It wasn't like Blockbuster, but it was more of those like small family owned hole in the wall places. Was it Rose Video? I don't know what it was called. Because it's from Schitt's Creek. Let's pretend that it is. Okay. Well, we're going to call it Rose Video. Yeah, it was it was a dump. I do remember that. Like (laughs) the sign, like the lights outside, like I think half of them worked. Oh, God. Yeah. It's your typical VHS place. But so... My dad was totally like a video bootlegger <laughs> and you during that time you could rent a VCR to take home so he could take one home after work as long as he brought it back before his next shift so he oh, would so weird it is so weird right <laughs> yeah so he would like bring home a bunch of movies and then he would bring home the extra VCR and then blank tapes and we would basically just bootleg all these videos like copy them and then sell them to his buddies wow yeah you probably had quite a collection hundreds and hundreds i remember those days when bootleg videos were like such a thing dude i mean it was really easy to do too because you it was too easy (laughs) yeah you just connected like one cable to the out and then one to the in and then yeah. you push record and play at the same time and then like poof there's your video and <laughs> you know being a little kid i'm like knowing how to do that at such an young age you kind of think you're a badass you know what i mean i mean you're kind of a badass like that it is a skill that not everybody has in in the, that generation i was a baby bootlegger Melanie. (laughs) Well, and that wasn't even my fault. Like, so my dad would copy his videos, right? Right. But no dad just wants to sit there and copy a bunch of kids' movies. So obviously he's going to teach me so I can do my own shit. Because that's just going to waste too much of his time. 
Work smarter, not harder. <laughs> exactly. So we had like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these tapes. And I never really even thought anything about it until we were moving from, at this time we had lived in Florida and we were moving from Florida to Kentucky. And he had these big milk crates and he started loading them up with VHS. And I think he was like 10 bucks a milk crate. And I'm thinking like, whoa, I'm about to fucking get arrested. Like I'm 10 years old. (laughs) I'm like the warning labels that start in the beginning of the movie. Yeah, that says you'll, you'll do federal time. Dude, like I knew for sure, like I was gonna spend the rest of my life in prison. Like I still, when I was like, kind of like going over this episode and like kind of going over these memories, I'm like, should I even fucking talk about this? Like, are they going to get me? Like, yes, I, the, uh, the nineties bootleg police are going to come for you when they hear this. Oh my gosh. Don't (laughs) do it. Don't do it. (laughs) I'm sure the statute of limitations is up. And I'm sure I will find something else to get us sued for. Don't worry. I've got you covered. Thank you. Okay. I'm not bootlegging anymore. Well, Mm -hmm. kind of. I Sounds like something a bootlegger would say. Well, is it bootlegging? Okay. So, you know, when you're like, you're researching these projects, right? And then a lot of these, like the LA Times did it to me today, where you only get to read so many articles and then you have to, like, buy a subscription. Yeah. Which is yes. super annoying when you're trying to do a podcast and yes, it's reliant on research. Um, and I there was a really important article I needed. It was super important for this. And I was like, I can not afford this right now. Like, I could afford it. It's stupid. It was like four bucks. But, like, I don't know if it's principal or what, but I'm like... The article is from 1988. I'm like, come on. Like, that money's not going to that person anymore. <laughs> so I totally was like, racked my brain. I was like, oh, I'll just go on my husband's laptop. Oh, yeah, I've done that. I do that all the time with Vulture. So that's not you, bootlegging, right? That's just... No, Melanie. Okay. No. I mean, I guess maybe someone would find it a little sketchy, but... When we, get super fam- when we get super famous, I will go through and I will buy a subscription to all of these. And the thing about you is that you probably actually would. Yeah. You know, I just, this guilty conscience, you know, it sucks really bad. Goodness gracious. But that's my law breaking. <laughs> <laughs> so is that all of it? Is that the, uh, the sum total of your crimes? Yeah, I've never been arrested. I almost got arrested once. Um, for smoking some green, um, in the middle of a national forest, we were like jumping off this cliff into some water and it was a lot of fun. And I actually like smacked the water really hard on my leg going down, like probably like the 15th time. And everyone's laughing because my bruise looked like Jesus. I've got a picture of it somewhere. I hope I can find it. But yeah, that was like the biggest, like law-breaking weird thing that's ever happened to me but it wound up being okay like they just gave me a public intoxication ticket it was like 50 bucks whatever the good old days do you do you feel absolved i think so i think i'm good (laughs) so yeah 
Um, my parents, my brother, my sister, like we just, we love movies. We watched a lot of movies. Um, my parents let me watch movies that I probably shouldn't have watched. Um, Exorcist being one of them multiple times. Poltergeist. Like, I don't know. I would never let my kids watch that. I don't even think I would let them watch it like as an adult. So, yeah. I'm going to do a deep dive on the poltergeist curse today. I'm super into it. So, if you didn't know, poltergeist was a trilogy. Trilogy. <laughs> Starting strong. <laughs> Let's just get it all out of the way. Okay. It was a trilogy. I didn't know, actually, for what it's worth. <laughs> I didn't realize... Like, I really started thinking about this, too, after last episode about your pop culture references and how, like, you don't know a lot of movies. Like, No, I really don't. Like, Goonies, right? Nope. Never Ending Story? Nope. Jesus. (laughs) E.T.? Nope. Jesus fucking Christ. I could do this all night. What else do you have? I guarantee I haven't seen it. Oh, my gosh. It breaks my heart. Well... Poltergeist was a trilogy. You should rent it. At least the first one. You don't I've do seen scary movies. That's the movie you've seen? Yeah. Oh my gosh, babe. I don't know. And probably, I don't know, like three others. We're going to get you, we're going to make a big list and you need to do some serious binging. Maybe. Because I'm wondering, like, if I've said things. That it's gone over your head. Oh, for sure. For sure. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. It's definitely happened. (laughs) I'm pretty good about um, modern pop culture references. I pretty much know what's going on in the world now. Right. It's the old stuff. Yeah. No, I mean, generally, like, yeah. No, I would say I'm maybe even above average at modern pop culture references, but not, not that stuff at all. Well... There we go. The old stuff. So, yeah. <laughs> Poltergeist. It was a trilogy. Um, actually, a couple years back, it scored a remake. Um, I didn't see it. Um, everything's a remake this, these days, it seems. Um, Poltergeist had its debut in 1982 when I was two years old. It's a I was negative six. Negative six. <laughs> your baby. <laughs> um, it probably has the chillest fictional family ever. And I, I mean that, like chillest um they start to experience some paranormal shit in their house and it opens up with one of the most iconic horror movie scenes it's a little blonde girl um with blunt cut bangs and she's talking to a static fill tv and then she places both of her hands flat on the screen and it's just creepy she's like they're back oh no oh yeah Kids do the creepiest shit, right? Yeah. What's the creepiest thing Adelaide's Uh, ever done? Oh, God. Where to begin? Um, I know she's generally creepy, and I love that about her, but has she ever done anything that's like, fuck? Um, Yeah, she did used to say at actually the same house where I saw Hatman, she did used to say that there was an extremely tall pregnant lady that she would see standing in the corner oh no yeah i never saw anything or had any kind of experience or sense about that but she she said that a few times like extremely tall like too tall yeah i don't like that at all 
Maybe it's just Hatman's wife. Oh, Brienne! <laughs> no! I can't. Maybe. I can't. Maybe, maybe they're going to have Hat Baby. Ew! <laughs> maybe it just wears like one of those um, striped baby hospital hats and floats in the corner. <laughs> that is creepy. <laughs> I wonder what Hat Baby's name would be. Just hat baby. Just hat baby. Just hat baby. Aria did something super fucking creepy a couple months ago. Um, you know Rachel Ray, the cook. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, did you hear about her house that caught on fire? It was like all over mm-hmm. the news. It just happened like no, it was a couple months ago. Mm-mm. We had just gotten back from a camping trip, and Aria had the news on, and Aria had just woken up, and she walked in. She's like. That fire really makes me want to have s'mores. I was like, Jesus, Aria, that's somebody's house that's on fire. (laughs) Like, you cannot say shit like that. I mean, I don't think she realized, but it was like so sad. And I was like watching it like, oh, my gosh. Like, I don't know. It just made her hungry. It made her hungry. I don't know. (laughs) Rachel Ray describing that fucking fire is, I don't know, it. Fires are creepy anyways, but she was talking about, like, hearing the sound of fire and electricity within her walls. Oh, God. Oh, hell no. I don't know. It was terrifying. It's not I something I... want to think about that again. No, not at all. So, the family and poltergeist, um, they don't really freak out because these ghosts that they have, they seem super silly at first. But then silly ghosts, they're silly, like they're playing with them. They're like stacking chairs. At one point, they put a helmet on the daughter and let the ghost like slide her across the kitchen floor. Hmm. They didn't take it as serious as as you should, Um, which was probably a problem because then the ghost full on kidnapped that little girl. Oh, and did you already say, is this based on anything, or is this just purely fictional? Purely fictional. Purely frictional. Frictional. I'm on a good one today. (laughs) (laughs) So, they kidnap Carol Ann Freeling, the little girl, and then they move on to absolutely terrorize the whole entire family. And look, I'm not here to give you an entire plot line, but... I'm also not going to hold everybody's hand with spoiler alerts because this movie came out 38 years ago. That's on you. (laughs) Um, Like I said, go run it. So in a series of bizarre and unfortunate events surrounding the film, it wasn't long before fans believed that the movie was cursed. Killer clowns, cursed human skeletons from India, murder, and an untimely death of a young child star, just to name a few. So, you want to make a movie scary? Toss in a clown, right? Oh, no. Yeah. For a lot of people... You can make anything scary that way. Yeah. People in general, like, are scared of clowns. Yeah. It's it's a big trigger for some people. Um, Are you not, Melanie? I... After all that with the clown baby? I wasn't for a long time until... um, there was an incident with Ava. There was an there was an incident? A clown incident. So when I was pregnant with Ava, um, my friend Lily, she would call her Nugget. 
so it just kind of my friend Lily like I don't know who Lily is (laughs) hi Lily um but yeah she would call her nugget and it just stuck so I kept calling her nugget to everybody like I was for sure that Ava's name was probably going to be nugget (laughs) um so when we were moving um from California to Oregon while I was pregnant um all our friends threw us a party and one of my friends gave me this doll it was a vintage doll and it Mm -hmm. was a little creepy and it was a clown that's not your friend Melanie but on the on the (laughs) box the name of the clown was Nugget so I see what they they saw it and they were like oh it's Nugget the clown yeah I don't know that's generous of you. <laughs> I think they were trying to haunt you. I think they were too. Uh, I just, anyways, it made the move with us to Oregon and it was boxed up. And then when Ava was like, I want to say she was probably like two-ish maybe. Um, I had pulled the clown out when she was kind of being like super fussy during nap time. And I was just like, here, take this clown. like <laughs> Go to bed, Melanie, please. Have you ever seen a horror movie? <laughs> I've seen a lot. I think maybe I'm like desensitized. So you had a fussy baby and you were like, let me pull out a haunted clown doll to try to calm you down. (laughs) Yes. Well, she stopped crying. Oh. And she fell asleep with the clown. Hmm. Okay. Thank you, creepy clown doll, right? No, no. Wrong. (laughs) Well. It haunted your baby to sleep. About an hour later, like I heard her moving around. So, was it her or was it the clown? Well, I went in there and pretty like, I'm not lying. Um, this fucking clown had every limb detached from its body. What? And its cotton stuffing was all over her bedroom. <gasps> How old was she? Like two. She oh. was in her crib. And the room was fairly big, what? so I don't, I mean, think of, like, cotton stuffing, like, throwing it as hard as you can. It's not really going to go that far. Now, think of no. a baby throwing cotton stuffing. Like, this stuffing was way too far. Oh, no. Yeah. Melanie, what the fuck? I don't know if my friends that give it to me are listening, but I threw it away in the dumpster. Never again. What? Okay. Melanie. Is that creepy? I swear. Like, is that creepy? I thought Cody was going to cry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's like, I don't I, like it. I hope that you have learned the lesson that if what you're doing blatantly feels like the scene before a jump scare in a horror movie, don't do it. Yeah. Don't do the thing that you're doing. You know me. I'm an idiot. <laughs> Good Lord. <laughs> It's gone, though. No more clowns in this. I don't think there's any clowns. Oh, God. Oh, my gosh. Well, in the Poltergeist, the son, Robbie, played by Oliver Robbins, he's in his all-American boy room, Star Wars toys, football posters, and, duh, a clown puppet. Because that's what every teen boy wants in their bedroom. So he's restless in bed. And he finally decides to lean over and look under his bed. Again, if the thing that you're doing feels like the scene directly before a jump scare in a horror movie, don't do it. Yeah, listen, 
don't fucking do that. This, this is <laughs> don't my do advice it. to you people. <laughs> well, when there's nothing to see, he sits up and he turns around only to see the clown all alive and shit. Now this fucking clown's arm, it grows like, you know those sponge snakes that you like throw mm-hmm. in the water and they grow real long? That's what yes. the arm looks like it's doing. And it oh, just yeah. like starts wrapping around little Robbie's neck and it's choking him and it starts dragging him under the bed. And oh it's, no. It's a super scary scene. Well, when actor Oliver Robbins um, was doing this scene, there was a mechanical failure on the clown and the arm of the clown started to get really tight around <gasps> his neck until he finally screamed, I can't breathe. <gasps> but the directors, Steven Spielberg and Toby Hooper, they thought he was just like really getting to the part. And they basically instructed him to look into the camera. <laughs> it wasn't until this poor kid's face was turning purple that Spielberg ran over and removed the clown's arm from around his neck. Oh, mm-hmm. that is upsetting. It's really upsetting. Where's the OSHA oh. guy on that? Yeah, clown OSHA. Mm. It's needed very much Shit. so. Uh, so Robbie's getting attacked um, and his mom, Diane Freeling, she's getting attacked too. She's milfing it up in an oversized orange jersey tee and panties, which is for some (laughs) reason like the wardrobe for the 80s, right? Of course. Um, So she's like, she finds herself being drugged into the family pool by this unseen force. Now, the pool has been under construction since the beginning. This is not like a finished pool. It is just a big, giant, muddy hole in the ground. Hmm. It's pouring rain. The pool is filling up with mud and rainwater. And then you see these skeletons. They're like bobbing out of the water all around her. It's really horrifying. It's a great, great, great scene. This casket floats up to the surface. And as she's like desperately struggling to climb out of this pool, the casket like turns upright and out falls a skeleton wearing its like her finest pearls. Like it's a fancy skeleton. It's terrifying. I really love this. I mean, it's just such an iconic scene. So the actress that plays Diane, Jo Beth Williams, she she knows what's up. She wants to be Mark safe. So when (laughs) filming this scene, she was totally fucking hesitant because she's literally in this muddy ass pool with gross water. And there's a shit ton of electrical equipment hanging above her. Like, while this rain's coming down. I mean, I wouldn't want to get electrocuted either, right? No, no, definitely not. So she's like, she doesn't want to do the scene. She's like, this is not safe. So Spielberg, he actually crawled into the pool with her to shoot the scene. And he says, quote, now if a light falls in, we will both fry. And I, yeah, I get what he's doing. He's trying to get the scene, but to convince me to do something that could potentially cost me my life and yours, like, no, you do not fix this by offering up your own mortality. No, they I'm convinced they did not have a mom that said, well, if so-and-so jumped off a bridge, would you? <laughs> I mean, it makes no sense. So They needed one. They needed one. So the pool scene, it worked itself out. But this is also the scene that drove fans to believe, like, this is how the whole poltergeist curse unfolded because of the skeletons. So 
those skeletons, they were real human remains. No. Yeah. And in a VH1 interview, Joe Best said, quote, I have to go into this huge tank of what I thought were mud with these skeletons, which, by the way, I thought were plastic, but later found out they were real skeletons. It was a real nightmare. Oh, heck. Craig Reardon, who worked special effects on the movie, explained it away in the doc series Curse Films by saying, quote, no low budget B film is going to pay anybody to sculpt with a human skeleton when all you had to do was go to a biological supply house and get a human skeleton. You know, wake up and smell the budget. Oh, yeah. Sassy. It is super sassy. All of his stuff sassy. Smell the budget. Really? Mm -hmm. And he's totally correct. Like, the amount of human remains used, like, glitter and pulp culture is, like, astounding. Like, um, can't think of, what's the Disney ride? They used real human remains there for a while. Um, oh, I don't think I know about that. Pirates. Really? Yeah. They're, I don't think oh they're God. real anymore. But, yeah, the skelet- they had some real skeletons on that ride. Holy shit. Yeah. It's really fucking common. I was like, people are surprised when they get haunted. Right. And, you know, you said this guy was sassy. And I'm like, because he he does seem super dramatic with everything he says. But I looked it up and yeah, like there's a ton of movies that just use real human remains. Wow. Well, Mm -hmm. they're probably all haunted. Yep. So the skeletons for Poltergeist came from the Carolina Biological medical and science supply company that sold human skeletons mainly for the use in medical schools back in the 1980s. Um, Craig said he thought the bones were acquired from India, and I'm not totally sure why that even mattered. Um, He said they dressed them so that they didn't look, quote, bleached, clean, bolted together skeletons, but instead disintegrating cadavers. And, you know, added sculptured rubber and things to them so they would kind of have a dramatic leering spooky aspect and not be dull what i'm trying to say clinical type courses corpse you know so he made no bones about it but the bones were about it and they made their way to the sequel in poltergeist 2 i would just like to take a moment to recognize that line thank you (laughs) that that was that was clever (laughs) i love doing stuff like this well, I, I couldn't let that go by without someone acknowledging it. I'm doing a curtsy right now. You should be. It's a well-deserved curtsy. <laughs> so when talking about shooting in the cavern, it's like the opening scene of Poltergeist 2. They're talking about the strange movie props. Craig T. Nelson, who played dad Stephen Freeling, told the Chicago Tribune in 1986, just days after the release of the film, that one coast star may have paid the ultimate price will samson was a native american rodeo performer who producers michael douglas and saul zanitz went to great lengths to get in touch with for the role of chief bromden in the movie one flew over the cuckoo's nest just from a recommendation they heard about him they're like we need this guy so after that william would find himself with a pretty impressive acting resume in Poltergeist 2, William played the part of Taylor, a Native American shaman who defends Carol Ann and her family from the evil spirit of the deceased Reverend Kane. Actor Craig T. Nelson said, quote, I am convinced the presence of Will Samson on this film saved us from tragedy. Samson not only plays a shaman, he himself is a shaman, and I believe that it cost him dearly in terms of his own personal health to see us safely through. So... 
Craig T. Nelson is referring to a real-life exorcism that was performed by William on the set um, because they were using these human skeletons. Uh, There's conflicting reports on what prompted the exorcism, but one story alleges that in one scene, when real cadavers were used in place of props, an entire day's worth of film stock mysteriously came out completely black. Thus, a whole day of filming that cost fifty dollars to $100,000 had to be reshot. Studio security was instructed to leave the set unlocked and unguarded so William could return in the middle of the night to perform the exorcism. The night before the reshoot shoot, he performed an exorcism at 4 a.m. in order to rid the set of evil spirits and ease the tension of the frightened cast and crew who had actually started to believe the franchise was cursed themselves. It's definitely cursed. It feels that way, right? It's cursed. I didn't think so much that the other one was, but this one, gosh, this one really feels cursed. Yeah. So Samson would pass away just a year after the debut of Poltergeist 2, undergoing a heart and lung transplant needed from a chronic degenerative condition he suffered from. The film also suffered the loss of Julian Beck, who had played the human form of the beast um, that long since terrorized the feeling, uh, Freeling family, a.k.a. Reverend Kane. You may, I, I know you miss pop culture references. Do you have your phone? Yes. Can you just Google Reverend Kane? Yes. I think you can do that. To me, he is like, Literally one of the scariest horror film villains I've ever seen. Oh, he's oh spooky, yeah, right? He's creepy. Super, super creepy. Um he and so, he's got that hat. Oh the, the hat man. Yeah. I, I was thinking about like oh yes. He's he's just looks menacing and this guy's acting is like completely off the charts it's so good um he was really big into theater like it was his love and it was his passion so you like you can really tell with his performance it's creepy it's super creepy um visually he is everything you would want in a horror film villain to look like um he's got the sunken eyes he's eerily pale and gaunt julian beck wasn't born this spooky his appearance was a sad result from his long battle with stomach cancer oh Mm -hmm. now my mom she lost her battle with cancer and you know she had a complicated life um and i love and miss her very much but cancer like quickly will make you a shell of the person that you were like it's really hard to watch um and Julian, he was in like such a late stage of cancer when he was doing the film. So I don't know. It just really impresses me that much more. Like knowing that, like, so was, was it like, like he was cast specifically for his creepy look, but his creepy look was specifically because he had late stage cancer. I don't think they cast, I think they cast him for his acting and not, I mean, the, I think the look was okay. the bonus. Because that, like, that feels a little weird and exploitative, but I guess, I mean, I guess if he's okay with it. No, he sought this out. Okay. Because, like, it makes me think of those um, people with, what's it called, Marfan Syndrome, who do a lot of special effects. Right. 
Um, no, like he did. Unnaturally tall, skinny people? No, he loaded himself up. He truly, every, you know, I read his obituary. Um, I read a lot of just kind of like his earlier life, like theater and acting was like the air he breathed. You know what I mean? Like it was his everything. Okay. So I, I, I really truly don't believe it was vulturistic on anybody's part. If, if anything, like they're like, it's like a wish, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Okay. I get what you're saying though. That could be really icky really fast. That can go go either way. Like some people are, you know, very self-aware and comfortable with it and, and it's fine, but you know, it could be not that way. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to see somebody that's in a vulnerable state in their life being taken advantage of. Absolutely. Yeah. I totally get that. I don't think it was that way at all. Okay. I, I, I just did not get any of those vibes. I'm usually pretty good about that stuff, too. Yes. He actually, Julian, he passed away in pro- post-production. And they, had yeah. a, they brought in a voice actor um, to loop some of his lines for Poltergeist 3. They wanted to bring his character Reverend Kane back. So the director, Gary Sherman of the third Poltergeist, he talked about this um, in the documentary series, Curse Films. That whole series is really good. Check it out. Um, he said, quote, so they used a death mask of um, Julian Beck to <gasps> make the prosthetics for Nate Davis so that Nate could look oh like Julian. Gosh. I am so, this is like such a weird niche thing, but I am so fascinated in how like movies handle it when someone dies and they need to finish the movie or, um, you know, there's a part two or something like the different ways that they work around it. Oh, you are in for a wild. I'm so fascinated by that. You are in for a fucking wild ride with this episode then because there is a lot of that. Okay. Um, so yeah, he said they called it a death mask. Whether the cast was done while Julian was alive or after he died, I'm not sure. It was a little mm. creepy. Wow. So yeah, they basically used Julian's prosthetics for the next actor in the third. So mm. we're actually going to go back to Poltergeist 2 and kind of touch on what you just said. That It's perfect timing. Um <laughs> In Poltergeist 2, there's a character that is clearly absent from the first one. Like, it's noticeable. And mm-hmm. I re-binged these, and I was like, where is, like, I knew about it, but I'm like, did they for real just not mention this chick? <laughs> like, it was really weird. What um, happened? So, I was doing some digging, and it was the oldest daughter in the first film. She wasn't in the second. Um, It was said that Dana had been intended to be in the second film um, in a sequence showing that she was off to college. But they scrapped that after the actress who played her was murdered in 1982, (gasps) not long after the debut of the first film. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. One article I found accused that, quote, the producers apparently felt that it was best way to deal with the, the performer's demise was to proceed as if the character she played simply have never existed. Oh. Mm-hmm. It really does feel that way because, like, there's no mention of her ever. Like, you got the first film and then it jumps right into the second and it's just a family missing a member and it's not brought up. 
Oh, that's weird. Yeah. So Dominique Ellen Dunn was born November 23rd, 1959 in Santa Monica, California to a ranching heiress, Ellen Beatrice and writer, producer, actor, Dominic Dunn. And this is totally a Jamie Lynn Spears thing again. Like she got the dad's name and the mom's name. Like, is this a thing? People need to stop. I didn't know it was a thing. I think it's a thing. Please stop, people. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Ava could have been John Melanie. (sighs) Is his name John? Oh, yeah, it is. What? His middle name's Cody. Um, It's weird because I've always known him as Cody. Um, Professionally, he goes by John. Um, And then one time, Lily and her husband Juan and Cody and I we went to Prices Right together and they will only let you write like as far as your name on your name tag it has to be like your driver's license first name oh there's no nicknames you're not allowed to have a nickname I don't know but yeah so they made him write John on his like big yellow price tag name tag and Oh, man, it tripped Lily and Juan out. They were laughing so hard. They were like, John, who is this person? (laughs) So, yeah, John Melanie. We really missed an opportunity with that one. I mean, it's not too late. And you could call it John Mellencamp for short. (laughs) (laughs) It's not too late. I'm really sad. (laughs) Why? Because that would have been awesome. Oh, Melanie, your your best days are ahead of you. <sighs> Maybe I just need another baby. No. You do. That's no. What you need. No. John Mellencamp. I'm taking this. No, we're not doing that. I'm moving on. No more oh. babies. I've had enough. So Poor baby John Mellencamp will <laughs> never be. It's just a dream. That's going to be Hatman Baby's name. Oh, my God. <laughs> Hatman, his tall pregnant wife, and baby John Mellencamp. <laughs> okay, we've come full circle now. You gotta tie it, button it all up, right? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. So, Dominique's first acting role was in ABC's made for TV movie with all the tropes of an after school pe- special. It was called Diary of a Teenage Hitchhiker. It was about a predator picking up young hitchhiking girls and raping them. She would land her first feature film in Steven Spielberg's Poltergeist, which was a smash hit grossing over $70 million. Dominique would play alongside Craig T. Nelson as his daughter, who, funny enough, was also in Diary of a Teenage Hitchhiker. Dominique was dating John Sweeney, who was a chef who worked under Wolfgang Pup and would eventually take his place as head chef at a restaurant called, I failed French class, Mom Mom Mason. It's M-A and then M-A-I-S-O-N. Sure. Sure. Anyways, so he's the new head chef. He was groomed by Wolfgang Puck. I mean, that's a big deal. We all know who that, we've heard of that guy. even I know that. So the two, they were in this whirlwind romance and would move in with each other after only months of meeting. But the happiness was short-lived because John was short-tempered, jealous, and violent. And Dominique was very vocal about it, too. She didn't hide the abuse like you see so many times in these situations. 
When questioned why she wouldn't leave John, she would straight up tell people that if she left, he would kill her. Oh, shit. Yeah. With a very successful release of the first Poltergeist, Dominique's fan base grew. Her father, he was a writer. He did um, a lot of articles for like Vanity Fair. Um, I think he did a lot of true crime stuff. I know that he, just a side fact, like had a front row seat in the O.J. Simpson trial. Like, oh my gosh. He was a big deal. So he actually wrote a huge scathing article about John Sweeney for Vanity Fair. Um, He wrote, quote, while Sweeney was in the men's restroom, a man at the bar recognized Dominique as the older sister in Poltergeist and called out one of her lines from the film. What's happening? Dominique screams that line when the evil spirit starts to take over her home, causing frightening things to happen. A film clip of that scene had been shown so often on television that the line was familiar to people all over the country. There was no flirtation. It was the case of a slightly tipsy fan delighted to be in the presence of an actress he had seen in a film. But when Sweeney returned to the table and saw the man talking to Dominique, he became enraged and he picked the man up and shook him. Oh my gosh. Yeah. She would break up with him and move out of the house telling her father, he's not in love with me, dad. He's obsessed with me. and He's driving me crazy. It was short lived. And like so many other women, she returned to her abuser. John did not reserve the abuse in private either. He would abuse Dominique in front of others too. One time he pulled chunks of her hair from the roots. Another time a friend was staying with them in their home and heard a loud gagging. When checking to see what had happened, Dominique told the friend that John was trying to kill her by strangling her. He denied it and just told everyone to go back to bed. Holy shit. When she guest starred on an episode of Hill Street Blues as an abuse victim... No makeup was necessary, as John had already done the job himself the day before. Shut up. There's pictures of her, and her face is fucking black and blue. It is upsetting. It what is, is the world that we are living in? I, it's, it's fucking sad. The whole thing is fucking... Just wait. This This thing makes me rage. So, eventually, she would find the courage to end the relationship with John for good, But like most abuser, he still pursued her, begging to reconcile. A few weeks after breaking up, Dominique was running lines with fellow actor and close friend David Packer when John showed up to her home. She talked to John through a locked door until he finally convinced her to come outside and talk on the porch. It wasn't long after she went outside that David heard them arguing, then smacking, screaming, and then a thud. There's a lot of public debate about how David handled this. Some believe he did everything he could given the violent nature of John and many, many others accuse him of just being a coward and not doing enough. And look, I'm in the opinion that you can't possibly fucking know what you would do in this situation. No. You hope you would do the right thing, but involving yourself in the middle of a domestic violence situation is tricky at best and sometimes it can escalate a situation that is dangerous for everybody you know yeah absolutely i just don't know this old school way of thinking that if you're a man you should be able to fight to the death to protect a woman like not every man is built like that you know no. yeah, yeah i totally agree i feel like sometimes self-preservation is just you know it's in our mm-hmm. makeup like we you want to you do have these heroes, but not everybody's like that, you know? Yeah. It's not one I mean, size fits all. And somebody might be like that in one situation and not another. It just depends. Right. I think if you try, 
then you fucking try. Now, if you didn't try, like punching bag Scatino, that's different. <laughs> but if like you attempt and you're doing something and then at some point it's like, I got changed course. Yeah. I don't know. So David called the police, but he was told that they were out of the jurisdiction. This is before 911 was universal. So like oh, he, he called the wrong police department. So and he didn't even have Google. That's no, stressful. it is super stressful. And I'm just thinking about like how scary this is. And then it's like, you're not just dialing 911. You know what I mean? And yeah. then you're calling for help and they're like, we can't help you, which is bullshit to me. Yeah. Um, so instead of hanging up and calling the right department, David clearly panicked, called a friend to tell them that if he was found dead, that John Sweeney was the killer. Oh, my God. To me, that's preserving evidence. I think what he... I, I get it. Yeah. Um, it. it also feels like, to me, that, like, he was thinking, like, he was running out of time. Yeah. Like, he... I don't know. I don't think he was being a coward. I just don't. It, it, no, I don't I, really read it that way either. I, he, he got so much shit over this. And I can't imagine, like, living with that, like, with the public backlash i don't know it's bullshit i don't believe it Mm-mm. so then david tried to leave the home through the back entrance but when he turned the corner john was standing over what appeared to be a lifeless dominique oh no yeah john looked at david and he told him to call the police and after they arrived on the scene john confessed quote i killed my girlfriend and i tried to kill myself Dominique would be transferred to Cedar sinai in L.A., where she would be in a coma, and scans would show that she had no brain activity due to oxygen deprivation. Days later, on November 4th, doctors removed Dominique from life support, and her family asked that her organs be donated. So, John Sweeney's trial for her murder is, it was a fucking joke. So, there was an obvious dislike between the judge and the prosecutor, like visible to everyone and i think it played a major part in the light sentencing that john would receive for this john's attorney michael addison used the heat of passion defense viewing the case not as a crime of tragedy but of a quote blue collar kid who got mixed up in beverly hill society and couldn't handle it oh shut up Mm mm-hmm Even with so many witnesses to John's abuse of Dominique, it seemed like Judge Burton S. Katz was having none of it. And when an ex-girlfriend of John's, Lillian Pierce, testified that he broke her nose, punctured her eardrum, collapsed her lung, threw rocks at her when she tried to escape from him, and was hospitalized by his abuse not once, but twice, one of it being for six days, it was ruled that, quote, prejudicial effect outweighed the probative value like Hmm. she couldn't testify which is bullshit because they're basically they need her to show that like this is his character like yeah he abuses women but the judge wouldn't let her testify prejudicial thing that it's like oh well that could shape their opinion of something i mean sometimes it needs to exactly so have context right so they wouldn't let her testify um uh, 
He didn't stop there. He also refused testimony from Dominique's mom and her friends who were actual witnesses of John's abuse, ruling that their statements about his abusive nature was hearsay. Really? Mm-hmm. On yeah. September, September 21st, 1983, the jury acquitted John Sweeney of second-degree murder but found him guilty of a lesser charge of voluntary manslaughter, where he would later be sentenced to six years in prison. After serving only three years and seven months, John was released on parole. He was quickly hired as the head chef of an upscale restaurant in L.A. Dominique's brother Griffin would stand outside the restaurant and hand out flyers protesting. He said, quote, (laughs) this guy gets to be reinstated as a head chef in a restaurant as if nothing ever happened. I don't want people to think, hey, he killed someone, but I'll have this steak anyways. Damn. Yeah. John would not have it. No, fuck no. None of her family had it with him. Like they were not going to let this guy just carry on. So he would actually quit that job and change his name. But like I said, Dominique's family, they would continue to follow this guy's every step. Dominique's father for many years had a private investigator keep tabs on John, but later 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 way later on in his life he decided he no longer wished to squander his life doing so um john would live in the pacific northwest for quite some time but it does look like right now he's back in sunny california living his best life it's also maddening seeing this dickhead on facebook like clearly just enjoying his freedom that's infuriating yeah you know me i had to look um (laughs) This is the same fucking guy who literally said, quote, I think time served is irrelevant in comparison to the fact that I'm doing life without possibility of parole in my heart. There's no parole for that. No. Mm -hmm. No. He is probably the worst person I've ever heard about in my whole entire life. What a trash bag. Total trash bag. He has a punchable face, too. Oh, great. So, moving on. The Poltergeist trilogy would also suffer the loss of another child star. The death of the sweet blonde-haired kiddo, Heather O'Rourke, would shock the nation and fuel the Poltergeist curse speculation. During a visit to MGM Studios, Steven Spielberg met five-year-old Heather by chance while her mother and her were having lunch in the MGM commissary. He asked to talk to Heather, but the little girl straight up told him she did not talk to strangers. <laughs> Isn't that adorable? That is so cute. I just can't imagine, like, telling Steven Spielberg, like, I don't talk to strangers. <laughs> <laughs> Kids don't give a shit. No, it's <laughs> the cutest thing. And she was so adorable. So I'm sure that probably, like, won him over. And so her mom was just, like, gave her permission. Like, yes, you can talk to him. So... <laughs> Although Drew Barrymore was actually slated for the part of Carol Ann Freeling, Spielberg signed Heather the very next day, and he would save Drew, Mar- Drew Barrymore for the iconic film E.T. And you've not seen this, right? Nope. Jesus Christ. <laughs> All right. Yeah, so sad you haven't seen E.T. I mean, I'm loosely familiar with the plot, but no, I have not seen it. We got to get you straight. I haven't seen anything. All right, so fast forward January 1987, months before Poltergeist 3 was set to start filming. 
12-year-old Heather started feeling nauseous. Her mom took her three, four times to a Kaiser facility in San Diego, but they just kept telling her that Heather had the flu and nothing more. And this is so upsetting to me. I feel like as a parent, you just, you know when something's wrong with your kid. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Oh, my mom has a whole story about this because she took me to the ER once when I was a kid. And they said it was a virus and it had to run its course. And it turned out it was freaking strep throat. It's uh, not strep throat. It was a scarlet fever. And she's definitely still mad about it. That sounds like another weird Indiana Jones thing. Scarlet fever. (laughs) Who has scarlet fever? I know that's that was the whole thing about it that was weird. <laughs> yeah, it just honestly it felt like like these doctors were just fucking brushing this mom off like it's the flu go away like I don't know she just knew. Um, well, it wasn't the flu. Heather's feet started swelling, so once again her mom took her back to Kaiser, where she was then sent to the hospital. And it turned out that Heather had actually contracted, um, was it Giardia? Yeah. Yeah. Am I saying that right? Giardia? I've always heard it said Giardia, yeah. Giardia. Um, She contracted Giardia from Wellwater at the Big Bear home, her Big Bear home in California. Oh. So Giardia is a microscopic parasite found on surfaces or in soil food or water that has been contaminated with feces from animals or infected humans. I had to look all this stuff up. Symptoms include diarrhea, gas, greasy stool that can flow, abdominal cramping, nausea, and dehydration. And yeah, I totally looked this up because I was like, this is, it just seemed like her, there was so much going on with her. So I was like, I really need to, like, why was she not getting diagnosed the right way? Because what if that happens to my kid? Yeah. What I found about this is, why am I struggling? Is Giardia. Giardia. Should I just say it 10 times? Yes, please. Well, it has this protection. But then a Giardia uh, protozoa will appear in the mirror behind you. Stop. 10 times. No. (laughs) But it'll be like really, really big. No. Yeah. Well, that just makes it even creepier with what I'm going to say next. Do you know it has a protective outer shell that basically serves like an armor? And I so, think I know that, yeah. I don't like it. So because of that, it can live outside of the body for really long periods of time. And also it protects the parasite from chlorine disinfection. So you can't like spray it with stuff to make it yeah, go away. Giardia doesn't give a shit. It's it's a honey badger. I don't like it. <laughs> I think this is the thing that creeps me out the Giardia? most. I don't, yeah, I didn't know anything about it. Oh, I mean, I don't like Giardia, but I was a vet tech. That's nothing new to me. Oh, it freaks me out. This freaked me out. I don't ever want to research Giardia ever again. Well, so. maybe you shouldn't say it ten times then. Yeah. All right. Because I think you might struggle with the big giardi in the mirror behind you. Mm. So, <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, there are a couple ways it can spread. Uh, so, this is fucking terrible. Drinking water is basically the most common. I mean, contaminated water. Not just, like, any water, usually. Uh, but still. I mean... You're just don't minding drink. your business, drinking don't, some no. water, and all of a sudden no, you have... Melanie, don't drink puddles. 
<laughs> I, <laughs> it's it's pretty easy to avoid, really. Do you not know it's, me? <laughs> I mean, maybe it's not easy to avoid if you're a raccoon, but are I'm you? A trash raccoon. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, she gets. I'm not saying the word again because. Now you have me freaked out. Okay. (laughs) So they treat her and she seems to feel better. But instinctually, her mother took her back to the doctors because she still felt like something was off with her daughter. A new x-ray done would show that the parasite had been eradicated, but she still suffered from some inflammation. The facility now diagnosed her with Crohn's disease, which is a type of inflammatory bowel disease. Um, it causes inflammation of the digestive tract, which can lead to abdominal pain, severe diarrhea, fatigue, weight loss, and malnutrition. So Heather starts a treatment for Crohn's and they, they're giving her cortisone injections. The steroid shots leave Heather with these like chipmunk cheeks. They're like really like puffy. Um, I think it was cute. I mean, it's sad because she's going through this and that's why she has them. Um, but it totally took a toll on her self-esteem. Like, she's 12. Oh, you know sucks. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's really sad. Um, so she grew increasingly embarrassed by her cheeks. Um, during the filming of the third movie in Chicago, Heather's mom had reached out to a private doctor there and who said, you know, they decided it was safe to go ahead and start easing Heather off of the injections. So, like, you can see in some of the scenes, like, she has them and some, like, not so much. So, she seemed fine for a while, like, almost a year. And then she woke up vomiting one January in 19, one January Sunday in 1988. Um, The following morning, um, she said she she told her mom, like, hey, I'm going to go to school. And her mother said, quote, no, you're not. And then I tried feeding her some toes. And she said, I can't even swallow. Then I noticed her fingers and toes were blue. And she started to breathe real heavy, kind of fast. And, and her stomach was distended. I called our local doctor and the, his office said, bring her right in. About 20 seconds later, she fell on the floor. That's when I called the paramedics. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. On the way to the hospital, it is terrifying. On the way to the hospital, Heather suffered cardiac arrest. After she was resuscitated, she was life flighted by helicopter to the Children's Hospital in San Diego, where they would perform an exploratory operation of her abdomen and find an obstructed bowel complicated by septic shock. A section of Heather's intestines burst after ballooning to four inches in diameter. Heather would survive the surgery, but she suffered another cardiac arrest while being transferred to the recovery room. And she she didn't make it. She passed away. Oh, that's terrible. It's really sad. She's a baby. Such a baby. Here's the thing. Heather didn't have Crohn's disease. She was repeatedly misdiagnosed and completely failed by medical professionals. Heather actually had a birth defect that was completely missed by doctors. Uh, she had congenital stenosis of the lower intestines, which is a narrowing of the intestines, which ultimately resulted in a blockage followed by the toxic shock. Wow. This is my worst fucking nightmare. I cannot imagine losing a child. Like, no, I was no. like, 
just reading, I'm, I'm going to try not to cry. Like it, it was really upsetting, like reading her mom's stuff. Um, she said, uh, when I lost Heather, it was like, I lost my shadow. My life will never be the same. And that just made me so I, sad. I can't. Like, I have to, like, disassociate a little bit right now. I can't deal with it. Uh, that will mess me up for days if I think about that. Yeah, it messed me up pretty hard. Things get a little gross after Heather's death. Um, speculation rose that since the release of the Poltergeist 3 hadn't happened before her death, Heather may not have completed her scenes. There are conflicting reports on this. Um, Director Gary Sherman has said that the filming of the Poltergeist 3 had not yet finished when Heather passed away, which required script changes to complete the movie. But Heather's manager insists that the filming was completed months prior to her untimely death. It's also fucking messy. I mean, there's like right down to like the person that scored the music claims that the movie was finished. That's weird. It's really, it's really fucking weird. And, you know, they're they're saying that, like, MGM just basically was like, we're rewriting this ending. It's so strange. It's super messy. Whatever the case, script revisions were made. And uh, MGM pressured Gary Sherman to complete the film. And I say pressure, but it's probably more (laughs) strong-armed. It's probably a little more realistic. A body double for Heather was brought in and the film was finished. Gary Sherman has straight up said that the new ending was fucking stupid. Um, And he wished that they would have just like not done it. Just like walked away from the project. Oh my gosh. Marketing the movie after Heather's death seemed complicated too. Um, This was that article I was telling you that I thought... That I was bootlegging. (laughs) (laughs) Um, From 1988, um, LA Times... Uh, it was super icky. It was really icky. So I'm just going to share a snippet. Okay. The second Poltergeist sequel was already in the can at a cost of more than $10 million. When the 12-year-old actress died of what seemed to be flu symptoms, but proved to be septic shock from an unsuspected bowel obstruction. Quote, we're caught in a dilemma, acknowledges MGM marketing senior vice president Barry Laurie. As Laurie sees it, quote, Normal adults and obviously fathers with daughters like myself might be very offended by almost any reference of Carol Ann slash Heather in a studio marketing campaign. O'Rourke was featured on poster ads for the first two Poltergeist films and is among the top stars in the third. But Lori can already imagine angry letters to MGM and UA Communications Company Chairman Lee Rich if MGM division appears in any way to trade on or work's death in handling Poltergeist 3. Yet, says Lori, the likely letter writers are probably people who may never see the movie anyways. The Poltergeist audience is young and male, the same people who love Grizzly Fair as Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street. But by Lori's reckoning, those viewers probably won't be disturbed by O'Rourke's death. Ew. Isn't that really gross? Yeah. That's the marketing person. Like, that is so callous. I'm so grossed out by that. And this is like before it's released. Like, it's an interview about how they're going to handle the marketing for the fucking movie. And you're going to fucking say that about your star? No. A kid, even if it wasn't a star. And this is like a little kid. <sighs> that is. Oh. Yeah. That's the that's the bad kind of horrible ghoul. That's not that's an actual horrible ghoul. Yep. Mm-hmm. 
So a fourth movie was actually greenlit during the beginning of filming for Poltergeist 3, but with Heather's passing, it would not see fruition. A Poltergeist remake that I said earlier starring Sam Rockwell was released in 2015. I did not see it, despite him being totally in my spank bank. Um, (laughs) But continuing the lore that Poltergeist franchise is cursed, um, the director of the new Poltergeist, or the 2015, it's not really new anymore, um, Gil Keenan hinted... Hey, that's the same year my baby was born, and she's new. Hmm... I'll say not brand new. <laughs> okay. <I'll allow> it. <laughs> She's new. She is new. She is new. So Gil and Keenan hinted paranormal activity on the set of the remake during a Reddit AMA. Quote, lights that could turn on anywhere else in the neighborhood would blow out the second you try to light them on set. Also, I used a lot of aerial drone photography in the film, and the drone pilots were never able to lock in the GPS signal in this field. We would have to move 10 away, ten feet away to launch the craft. So, I don't know. The remake coattailing on this franchise curse seems anticlimactic to me. And it, I give it an eye roll, but whatever. It needed to be included. Right? Mm-hmm. I'm um, a little creeped out by the thing with the drones. That's kind of... I'm not. People, I don't know. I think maybe they know. didn't know what the fuck like- they were doing. <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. That gives me like Skinwalker Ranch vibes almost. With, uh... Ooh, I don't like that. Have you um, heard about Skinwalker Ranch? No, I oh. don't. I I don't know if I want to know. How do you if... feel about aliens? Oh, I love aliens. Okay, yeah, you'd probably be into it. Didn't you like see all my like Area 51 post? Yeah, I mean, I thought you were into aliens. Oh, I, I yeah, didn't know. no, it's like some um, place there's a bunch of shit that happens there i don't like this whole skinwalker yeah i don't either that sounded that sounds creepy there's like a lot of cat it's like there's a lot of um cattle mutilation and that kind of thing it's just this area where so much messed up shit has happened it's a a ranch and uh and it's called skinwalkers i i don't know exactly where skinwalker came from something bad um supernatural there's a podcast that just did an episode about it um it's the same people that do crime junkie and they started one that's uh like supernatural stuff oh maybe supernatural i think it's called that with ashley flowers i don't know but they did an episode about it and it was pretty good i'm gonna have to check that out yeah i think you you would enjoy that episode Oh. Whether you would enjoy the, that podcast overall, I, I have no idea. But that episode is very interesting. I love all that shit. Aliens. Yeah. Bigfoot. Oh, I took a picture the other day. I was driving. And um, it was, uh, there's this place they sell like uh, golf carts and like four wheelers, four wheelers and stuff. But you know how like people make their own signage? Like it's just like you put the letters up. Yeah. Um, and it just said, Bigfoot, I believe in you. <laughs> It was so random. But then I started thinking, I'm like, do they really believe in Bigfoot? Or is this like, is there like a four-wheeler called like Bigfoot or something? And I just got sucked into like some weird marketing thing. I don't know. Because I can't stop thinking about it. It was like when I was a little kid and we were driving and we passed a vacuum place. 
and it was the same type of sign. It said our vacuums really suck. <laughs> and that fucking ruined me. I was like, Mom, that sign's so stupid. Why would you say our vacuums suck? And they didn't explain oh, it to me for Melanie. years. Yeah. It was very upsetting oh when I gosh. finally put two and two together that that's what vacuums are supposed to do. <laughs> you got the joke. How long did it take? Uh, way too long. Uh, <laughs> like two years. Oh. Oh, my. I was too old to be. I think I was like 13, 14, mm. two. I, I was old enough to know better. I was going to cut you some slack if you were really little. Nope. I was no not little. You. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's uh that's the poltergeist curse. Oh, that was a perfect perfect conclusion to our spooky month. What that vacuum suck? Well, I mean, yes, but I meant your episode. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we'll get back to um disasters. Yes, do you have any idea what you're going to do next? I do. I I, I, I do, but I want to talk to you about it because I think you mentioned that you want to do it. Oh. But I stumbled because I was looking at the calendar and I stumbled on an anniversary of something when my week falls. Tell me now. It's a train derailment. Oh, yeah, you can have it. I don't have any train derailments that I'm specifically attached to. Okay, because this one is like I kind of I kind of like I like to go look at the calendar when my episode drops and then just kind of look to see yeah. if there's like any major events. And there was a train derailment that caught my attention and I kind of looked into it a little bit and it's fucking fascinating. So is it, do you remember the name of it? It's in Canada. Um, is it like it's specifically one that I have in my list? Is it? I do. I don't know. I was asking. I know I have one um, specific train derailment on my list that looked really good i'm not specifically attached to doing it but if you're doing it i'm excited because i it looked really interesting um this one is it's in canada and i would tell you what it is but i'm still practicing on how to say the town's name (laughs) okay it's kind of spelled like mississippi but it's not Hmm. mississauga i think it's mississauga canada anyways yeah that's gonna be my next one I'm very excited. I promise that whatever, I'm not sure yet what my next one's going to be, but whatever it is, it's going to be very disaster <laughs> We owe them that. I know, but it has been so fun, like, getting into spooky stuff. It has. I was so proud of myself with my, um, my little mixed bag episode. I was very proud of myself to remember to put the uh, Halloween Coliseum explosion one in, because that... That's that's an actual disaster. <laughs> no, you had disasters. And um, by all of the messages that we've been receiving over last week's episode. Yeah. Hatman, fucking disaster. Yeah. Oh, yeah. If you've met Hatman, you'll agree. <laughs> and it's technically man-made because you make it. Oh, I don't. Oh, oh, no. That's going to trip me out to think about. <laughs> okay. Go to bed. Okay, yeah. Sweet dreams or no dreams? God, I need it. (laughs) Good night. Bye. Hey, Horrible Ghouls. Hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you would like to share your personal MarkSafe moment, you can send it to us at MarkSafePodcast at gmail.com. 
Please give our podcast a rate, review, and subscribe, and tell your buddies about us too. That goes a long way. If you want to further elevate your support, check out our Mark Safe Patreon page, where we have shoutouts, goodies, and some bonus content in the works. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks again, and as always, stay safe.